I'm Jonathan Mosen. Thanks for checking out Mosen at Large, episode 14. ACB Radio turns 20. Wow, where did that time go? I've got an in-depth analysis of the Ulysses app for iOS. This is a word processor. And cast your vote for your top 10 holiday songs. To be in touch with the show, Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. You can attach an audio clip to that email or just write an email down, or you can call the listener line. That number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. I'm feeling a bit reflective today because as the show goes out live, it is the 1st of December in New Zealand, and I can remember exactly where I was and what I was doing on the 1st of December 20 years ago. Because on the 1st of December 20 years ago, I was getting ready at this very moment. And by the time we publish the podcast, at publication time, it'll be about exactly the moment I push the button to start ACB Radio. And we've done a bit of reflecting this year because at New Year's Eve 2018, going into 2019... It was the 20th anniversary of my first internet broadcast using Shoutcast, and so we dusted off a lot of memories and old audio, including test announcements from ACB Radio, and you can hear some of that stuff in the episode on ACB Radio that Glenn Gordon did for the In the Arena series. And if you're subscribed to the Mosin at Large podcast feed and you scroll back enough, then you will find that, what was it, a nine-part series, I think? where Glenn talked to me about what I've been up to. And there's a whole um, episode on ACB Radio. So it's nice to know that ACB Radio is going 20 years later. I feel really proud of that part of my life and also very privileged to have worked with such an amazing group of people because we really were inventing a lot of processes and protocols and things that have really become standard. But No one had really kind of done that sort of thing before, getting a community of people together from all around the world, connecting to a common server, certainly in the blindness space. And it was a great use of the medium, of the idea that radio is typically about community, isn't it? Certainly back then it was that you'd have a radio station in your community, you'd be listening to things, and there was that commonality that you were hearing about local events and that sort of thing. And so why not use the power of the internet, the global nature of the internet, to extend it and extend that concept of community to a community of interest like the blind community? Whoa, what an idea. So it all kicked off. It was very low key. I do remember that Gary Adler was over here and we headed off to the Deep Blue Seafoods in Adelaide Road. I was living here in Wellington then in Adelaide Road, and we had some fish and chips, because I ate that sort of stuff then, (laughs) and came home, just pushed the button. It was a very, what they call a soft launch, a soft launch it was. We just pushed the button. It it was 1 p.m. New Zealand time, because that was midnight universal time. We did keep universal time then. I think ACB Radio may still do it, actually, keep universal time as a global broadcaster. And uh, we just launched with an episode of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes because the original ACB radio was just one stream. And we had a mix of old-time radio, ACB programming from things like the Braille Forum, and then gradually we built up over time. So I tell you what, you can also go to mosin.org and 
in the store there, in the mosin.org store, you will find a link to a book that I wrote for the 15th anniversary of ACB Radio. And of course, nothing has changed since then from my point of view, because my involvement ended in 2003. So it's still as current as ever. It's called Online On Air and it's free. Free! Can't beat that price, can you? Online on air. And you can download that and read my recollections of the ACB radio story with a forward from Amanda, who calls herself Wife 1.0 in that um, in that forward. Because, <laughs> of course, Amanda was a, a huge support and a big part of the ACB radio story in various ways. Mosin at Large Podcast. Here's Brian Gaff, and he says, Hi there, Jonathan, dictating this. Oh, you dictator, Brian. You're a dictator. Uh, Has only just got around to listening to radio. I wonder, he says, if you know whether the app for the tiles is accessible or not. I've just bought some in the Amazon sale. Exclamation. Oh, I see. I I think that's supposed to be an exclamation mark. But it was written out as the word exclamation. Yes. It's been on and off a little over the years, but at the moment, the Tide app is pretty good. So you should be fine with uh, the tiles, Brian. I have had a really fun thing. Boy, it's been annoying the soup out of... Yeah, yeah, the soup out of Bonnie. Because a few weeks ago, I think I chronicled this ad nauseum as I want to do. I lost my keys and luckily they were handed in and all those good things. But then I got really paranoid about things I might likely lose. And so I have a tile attached to the big key ring now. And I also have a tile in my wallet. However, it's a bit embarrassing because when I go into meetings or sometimes I go into Ubers, I sit down and the way I sit with the tile in my wallet, it pushes the little button on the tile and it pages my iPhone. So the moment I sit down somewhere, my iPhone starts to ring. And people think, oh, he's busy. He's just sitting down in this meeting and his phone's going off. But it's not actually with a phone call. It's the jolly tile making it go. I think I finally found a place in my wallet where the tile can safely live and where my bottom doesn't push the button when I sit down. TMI, I suppose, to some degree. But uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the tiles What will be really interesting is to see what happens when Apple releases its new competitor to Tile. I think they're called iTags or Apple Tags. Apple Tags, I believe they're called. So I don't know when that is happening, but it does seem imminent because there's all sorts of code for it in the operating system. Let me tell you about a tradition that Mushroom FM has cultivated over the years, and we really love this tradition. It is back for 2019. And for those people who are listening on the podcast who may not be regular Mushroom FM listeners, I really hope you will also get into the spirit of this, because the more people we get participating, the more representative a result we can get. Over the years, there's been a bit of sort of, I wouldn't call it skullduggery, because Lobbying is okay, isn't it, in these sorts of things? Lobbying is okay, but you get people who go around their workplaces or their places of worship or whatever, 
and they say, can you please go to the Mushroom FM website and vote for the song as number one? Because I really wanted to get to number one. And it's quite fun to see certain people attaching themselves quite vociferously to certain songs. This is the Mushroom FM Christmas Party and Holiday Countdown for 2019. The way this works is that you head over to mushroomfm.com slash countdown 2019 and it's open now. mushroomfm.com slash countdown 2019. When you get there, it's a really simple form that you can complete where you vote for your top 10 holiday songs of the moment. I mean, that, that, that you feel good about at the moment. You're not constrained by Mushroom FM's typical decades. And what we've done is we've assembled quite a voluminous list over the years that you can choose from. There's a series of combo boxes. So for each position in the countdown, there's an edit field and a combo box. You can write your choice in the edit field or you can put in the combo box. You can scroll through using first letter navigation and find the name of the song. Usually we don't let you specify an artist because can you imagine what would happen if we had hundred different versions of Silent Night on the countdown. So sometimes we use our discretion about which version to play. Where there's a really clear difference, for example, Mary's Boy Child and there's the Harry Belafonte version and the Disco-y Boney M version, we do make a distinction there. But typically, we'll choose who sings the traditional songs. Otherwise, man, you could have a very skewed countdown. You know what I mean? So you can go there, type in the songs or scroll through the combo boxes in each case, in each of the 10 cases. If you put your email address in and any other notes you like, there are lots of countdowns out there. But the really cool thing about this particular countdown is Mushroom FM's classic use of social media. So the countdown is accompanied by a Christmas party where we assign you to a virtual table at our Christmas party and we publish a seating chart so that everybody knows who's seated where. We generally use Twitter in this instance, a bit of email as well, and people tweet away with their seat mates, with their table mates, and we do award Christmas crackers for people's participation. So we have a little bit of a competition going on during the countdown to see whose table, which table uh, gets the most points. And we keep you up to date with the scoreboard throughout the day. It's fun. And people really do seem to look forward to this event. So I would be most grateful. We just tweeted out a blog post and it's going to Facebook. Of course, it's gone to our email list. If you wouldn't mind sharing that blog post, we would really appreciate that because we'd love to get even more votes. It's very popular. It's a popular event, but we'd like to get lots and lots of votes this year and see what happens. I've got a couple of candidates for potential number one lobbying. Uh, I don't know whether some of the other staff have. We'll just have to see how it goes. But you can vote now if your mind is made up. You can vote now. When is it happening this year? It is happening pretty much when you would expect for a countdown like this on Sunday, the 22nd of December. And it's a 10 hour extravaganza. We get through 10 Christmas songs every hour. And that gives us a chance to have a chat and enjoy the Christmas party side of it as well. So it begins at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time on the 22nd of December. It'll run through until 7 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Just before 7, we'll play number one and if you would like to vote then do two things spread the worm 
spread the worm, and also head over to mushroomfm.com slash countdown2019. It's open now. mushroomfm.com slash countdown2019. And someone who says it far more concisely than me is this dude. There's a Christmas party going on, and you are invited. It's the Mushroom FM Holiday Countdown. Back by popular demand. Back because it's Christmas. Back because it's a good time. The Mushroom FM Holiday Countdown. During our Christmas party on December 22nd, we'll be playing all the top songs in order, as voted for by listeners. To cast your vote, go to mushroomfm.com slash countdown2019 and pick from our list. Or type in songs of your own. And then you'll get an invitation to a party you don't want to miss. Live on Twitter and in your face. The party begins Sunday, December 22nd at 9 a.m. Eastern. Reserve your place when you vote for your favorite holiday songs at mushroomfm.com slash countdown2019. Mushroom FM's holiday countdown. It's back. It's back. It's back. Jane says, I also got two tiles in the Amazon sale. The tiles are on my cane slash keys, wallet, laptop, and luggage. It's good, isn't it? And now they have, as I think I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago, they've got these little ones, the tile stickers now, that you can attach to things. So I have a cable that's pretty essential for certain activities with my hearing aids, like connecting to the mixer and my laptop and different things like that. And if I lose that cable, I'm really in trouble, in trouble. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe a tile sticker might be able to attach to that. We'll just have to see Jason Smith, who always pops out of the woodwork at this time of year as we head towards the holiday countdown, he says, I know this is a few months old, but have you noticed that the soup drinker's voice has changed a bit? It sounds a bit like the Apple Compact Voices or something, he says. Jane is chiming in and doesn't like it. I believe that the voices change because they say it's more natural when reading. It's got a more natural reading voice. But yes, people have commented on how it has changed. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. It is Thomas Solich here in Ohio. It's been a couple of months, so I figured I would check back in. Absolutely enjoying Mosin Large podcast. Oh, Appreciate thanks. so much. You um Doing this uh, for the entire blind community, it is thrilling. Also wanted to give a shout out for uh, your biography uh, documentary series of, of interviews with um, Glenn Gordon. Oh, well, Glenn Gordon. They Glenn, were thank you. extremely inspiring, and I enjoyed listening to them immensely. So thank you for taking the time to record that for us. It was, uh, it was awesome. Thank so you. I definitely recommend that. Wanted to also say thank you um, because your uh, great ebook on Sonos, um, even though as you've said before it's a few years old, yeah. but I think anybody with half a brain can listen to it and then apply that knowledge to some of the upgraded features to make it work uh, still today um, very well in terms of setting up um, a vibrant Sonos system as a blind user. So I have been greatly enjoying. Sonos and using your book as a good reference uh, for how to 
get around that, and it's been uh, extremely helpful. So thank you for your work on that as well. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm also glad that uh, perhaps um, my message back in September inspired uh, Bonnie to give you final permission uh, to get your new iPhone because, uh, you know, your listeners do expect it of you. I was (laughs) afraid I was going to have to buy you one and overnight it to New Zealand, but thankfully... I didn't have to do that. No, no, so. no. I, I, I got the requisition form signed by the CEO of Mosin Towers. Next year yeah, or yeah. the year after. There you go. Anyway, one quick question for oh. everybody. Um, <clears throat> a lot of the accessibility bugs in iOS 13 have been rectified, but there's still one that is annoying me immensely. Uh, like a lot of you, I get many emails every day. And I find even on iOS 13.23 <clears throat> and even some to a lesser extent, um, on the 13.3 beta, what's happening is that when I browse through emails and take action on one, yes. whether I need to mark as read mm. or delete, um, voiceover will plunk me back down at the very beginning of the email list of messages in the box. And this will continue. And then once I get, I don't know, maybe 35 or 50 some messages in, it will move me, not to the very beginning, but randomly to an email back to the left or newer than what I'm working with at the time. And then after I work in the app for about seven minutes, it stops altogether and operates as normal as it did in previous iOS version 12 and previous. So I want to put that out there and see who else is experiencing that and uh, wish everybody a wonderful time of preparation for Christmas and the holidays Looking forward to the, uh, the the countdown. I haven't heard it before oh. um, on Mushroom FM, so I'm definitely looking forward to participating in that this year. So, all right, Jonathan, thank you, and look forward to hearing what everybody has to say about this irritating. Uh, ongoing email bug in ios 13 well thank you for your very kind message thomas and of course head on over to mushroomfm.com slash countdown 2019 cast your votes and secure your place at one of our christmas tables look i empathize and sympathize and share your frustration it's just awful this one along with the notifications issue which can be so frustrating because a notification goes off and then it goes off again and again and again every minute until you get to tend to the notification. But yes, this email one, um, the majority of emails that I work with, I do on my iPhone and it's horrible. It really is. I share the frustration and I, I don't know why some of these critical voiceover bugs. Well, I suppose that's subjective. Are they critical or are they just majorly annoying? I suppose they're just majorly annoying, but you know, I, I, again, I just can't help thinking if this was affecting sighted people, they would have got it done by now because email is such a critical part of being productive, isn't it? So I share the frustration. I, all I can say is I guess we should just keep reporting the bug and one day, maybe before Christmas, we'll get a glorious Christmas present. Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. This is Chris Westbrook. I haven't talked to you for a while, but I still follow you around and and thought I would make a comment. I heard, I know I'm a little behind, but I heard you talking a a couple of weeks ago about hearing aids and um, Apple iPhones and the the problems people are having with volume going down and then not coming back up again. In my one year, I have 
the Otakon hearing aids, I believe it's the same one you have, and I don't experience that with that anymore, but um, I just got a cochlear implant actually in my other ear, and that does exhibit that behavior. Um, I did check with my audiologist though, and she was able to adjust the ratio of the device to the iPhone so that I have a one-to-one ratio now. So now, when that happens, at least my volume isn't down for the microphone because it's coming in at the same level as the iPhone. I can adjust that if I want to within the app for the cochlear implant, the Nucleus 7 that I have. I can adjust the ratio, but by default now it is 1 to 1. It used to be, I think, 2 to 1. So that's something for people that are having that problem. They can probably check with their audiologist and at least have the volumes set if that's something you would want to be equal by default, which I kind of like that anyway. If I'm doing something that might be noisier, like a, I use it to work out, and so, you know, I don't want to hear the, the pedals going around on my elliptical, so then I I change it actually down to zero um, on the microphone and all of the iPhone. And I also was kind of curious about other blind people and their experiences with cochlear implants. Um, I haven't really run across too many of them. I understand why, because it's sort of a, I wouldn't call it a last resort, but it, it's, it's really meant for people that have you know, pretty bad hearing. Um, I only got it in my one ear. I will only get it in one of the ears unless something really changes. Right now I have okay hearing in the left ear. I guess I'd say okay compared to what my right ear was, which is not okay compared to normal hearing, but um, I really will will keep that left ear mainly for music. Music is still pretty hard through the implant. I've had it activated for about three months now. And I was was just curious uh, if you had, well, I, I guess I won't want to ask any questions. I didn't know if you'd ever been evaluated or if you would ever consider that or if there were other blind people out there that had cochlear implants and how they were getting along with it. The first couple months have been kind of interesting, (laughs) Um, teaching my brain to hear again. Thanks, Chris. I'm glad that the cochlear implant appears to be working for you. You are right, though. They typically are a last resort situation, and once you do it, there's no going back. My hearing's nowhere near there. It's possible that one day it could be. And to be absolutely honest with you, it it does frighten me, mainly because of the music situation. Music's such a big part of my life. And with the technology the way it is at the moment, certainly what you say is also what I've heard from other blind people I've talked with who have gone the cochlear implant route because there's just nothing in the era of hearing aid technologies that will really do the job as well. And in the end, if you've got a choice between just not being able to function and having at least the ability to converse with people in a range of situations and be safe and things like that, well, of course you would choose it. Luckily at the moment, the hearing aid technology that I have does allow me to do those things and still enjoy music. 
But I've talked to several people over the years who've had cochlear implants. Some of them have told me that over time you do get better with music. It's just such a different way of hearing. So it would be interesting to hear what others have to say if they've gone with cochlear implants. You're right, though, about noise and things. One of the very few advantages of wearing these sorts of devices, hearing aids or cochlear implants, is that usually you can mute them. One of the things I really like about the Oticon aids is just how easy it is to turn the mics off. You can just turn the mics off with a little press and stay in the program that you're in. And that's pretty cool. When I'm on the treadmill and listening to tweets and everything, the, the voice control in iOS 13 is just amazing for getting things done while you're also getting things done on your phone. And quite often I put the iPhone somewhere on the treadmill and just talk to it and get things done with voice control now. And I mute the mics so I don't have to hear what's going on around me and I just enjoy the music from the iPhone. So that's a pretty nice use case where for once we have a bit of an advantage. But good message, Chris, all the very best with your cochlear implant. Three months is quite a short time, isn't it? But I hope that that continues to work okay for you. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's Jim from sunny Florida. After Thanksgiving and Greyhound and Uber and paratransit, yes, the A-plus links is the Lynx bus system in Orlando, Florida's paratransit system. Well, their app didn't work when I was sitting in a cab. They will actually send you one of their wheelchair-accessible vans or a taxi or a lift or two other private carriers. I don't know what they're called, though. But I've set priority to, and I'm ambulatory, dealing with a knee injury, but I'm still ambulatory with a cane. So they sent me a wheelchair-accessible taxi, which was great. Most taxi companies in the U.S. don't even have that, but Mears is a multi-million-dollar family-run company. Another story, though. Anyway, so I'm in the cab, and I had this really, really cool driver, and he was actually the one that picked me up on, on Tuesday when I went into town to visit my family in Orlando. Well, this gentleman was very nice. I can't remember his name, and I feel really bad. He was from my rack, and we had a really, really good, positive conversation. I had cash the first day. Well, the last day, I said, why don't I use this app? So I bought a $4 token, like you do, and it took a while for their customer service folks to tell me how to do it. I was going to do Uber or Lyft. Answer your question about Lyft or Uber. The new thing in the U.S. with Lyft is they have an 800 number dedicated for people with disabilities if you have an issue. And I don't have the number off the top of my head, but if you want it, Jonathan, let me know and I'll email it to you and you can share it with the gang, okay? Sure. Anyway, I usually check Uber or Lyft to see which one's cheaper. That's how I do it. But I do check Lyft first because they've gone to the trouble of having that 800 number. This weekend, I only had one when I put in my note. I put, I have a guide dog, and I know some of you out there with guide dogs like me are going to groan. But since the term seeing eye dog is most commonly known, I put in my note, traveling with a seeing eye dog, because people know when they see guide dog, they read the first part GU, and they think it's a guard dog, and you have to deal with all that other stuff. So that's why I put traveling with a seeing eye dog. And once in a great while, there's a problem, but it seems to have helped a lot. 
I will also say that I've always gotten credit when I've reported a miscue. Like I know what your wife and some other people have. Um, they're always great about giving me either $5 or if I was charged, giving me a break off the $5 charge for their cancellation, or they'll give me as much as 15 or $25 for the inconvenience. I'm also told the person's taken out of service for 24 to 48 hours and given re-education. They will never transport the person they offended again. So in that case, it would be me. And they get to ride, uh, they get re-educated. And if they do it again, they're banned for life. Quite right. Maybe yeah. you might want to add an explosion or something. Yeah, you're a banned for life. You are, you're exploded. There you go. Good on you, Jim. And they deserve to be banned for life if they do it a second time as well. Mosin at Large Podcast. What's the most memorable gift that you've been given? And when I was a kid, I can remember all sorts of gifts that I was really excited about getting, hoping, hoping, hoping I would get them. And normally I did. I suppose these days it's not the same. People just seem to go out and get what they want when they want it now, don't they? Well, at least I do. <laughs> I realize the sacrifices my parents made when I was a kid to have given me the, the presents that I got. To be honest, my most memorable gift was a pretty cheap one, but it is my most memorable. And this gift was given to me by my children. I'm just trying to remember what year it was. It must have been about, I think it might have been 10 years ago. Anyway, all the kids were very conspiratorial about this gift and they were just bouncing round with eagerness and anticipation, urging me to open this gift. It was just a little thing. And I opened the wrapping paper, you know, and there was a box there and I opened the box and there was this pen. And I was flabbergasted, you know, when someone gives you a gift... And you don't want to offend them. And you sort of say, oh, that's nice, dear. Inside, I was thinking, what the soup are my sighted kids doing giving their blind father a pen? Anyway, they seemed very excited and proud of the fact that they were giving me this pen. So I did my best to be appreciative. That's lovely. Thank you all so much. I can use it on the rare occasions when I have to, you know, sign documents or something. But then they were all sort of hovering around. I remember sitting on the seat and they were kind of in this circle around me, like vultures hovering there. And then they were going, push the button, Dad. Yeah, push the button, push the button, Dad. Okay, so I pushed the button on the pen and it gave me this bloody big electric shock. Wow! And then they were all, hee Isn't that terrible? A pen that gives you a shock when you push the button. So that's probably my most memorable gift. Jason Smith says, I think I'd have to say my most memorable gift has to be a 386 computer I received in 1992. It always comes to mind because I totally wasn't expecting it at all. Those gifts are always nice, aren't they? I remember one like that. Usually if you're kind of lobby your parents enough and if the means exist you get something you really want but it's the surprises i remember coming out of my room in 1981 at christmas time and my dad said we want to listen to some christmas music and the radiograms broken can you have a look at it 
Even then I was the tech dude. Yeah, we had a radiogram. It literally was a radiogram. It had a radio and, and this sort of lid you lifted up and it had an automatic turntable thing. But when I when I went to investigate the radiogram, I found it had been replaced by this cool new stereophonic apparatus. Oh, whoa! Yeah, that was a memorable gift as well. Carolyn Pete in Auckland. Hi, Jonathan. The one that frustrates me on the iPhone at the moment is when you are adding a number to your contacts that is not already there. For example, if you called me and I don't have your number, then I want to add it. When you get to the contacts area, you can't type in the first and last name unless you actually save the number first. Apple told me they are aware of the problem, but don't know when it will be fixed. That is unacceptable, says Carolyn. If they know of the problem, surely they must have an idea about when it will be fixed. Apple is a pretty secretive company. They don't make commitments about uh, when they're going to fix things publicly. Season's Greetings, says Linda Mamrosh. Is there a particular brand of tiles to look for, says Linda? No. Uh, they are just called tiles. That's the name of the company. It's, it's called Tile. So if you go into anything like a Best Buy or whatever and you say, I'm, I'm looking for the tiles that you use to locate things, I know exactly what, what you are after because they're just called Tile. Would the Twitterific app simplify twitter for a novice um i would certainly take advice on this linda but my honest opinion i love twitterific to bits i wouldn't be without my twitterific but my answer is actually no if you're a novice to twitter and you don't care about some of the things to do with the way twitter presents itself and that sort of thing then the default twitter app is really accessible these days it does do push notifications. If you wanted to fully take advantage of Twitter these days, you do need both Twitterific and the native Twitter app because Twitter broke third-party access to some degree. And so you really would need the, the original Twitter app anyway. So I would just get the native Twitter app. It's a pretty straightforward app to use. Brian Gaff is commenting on his most memorable gift. He says, when I was really, really small... I think my most favorite gift of Christmas and probably quite cheap compared with everything else was a gyroscope. DJ Z-Man says one of my most memorable Christmas gifts was getting one of those stretch arm strong toys. And my cousin's sister and I trying to see if we could pull it apart. Oh, you vandal, you. Kathy Blackburn says, my most memorable Christmas gift when I was very small was a child-sized folding card table with four folding chairs. We used those for years. One of the many, many cool things about being a parent, of course, is getting your kids gifts that you think they'll really like. I remember Amanda and I being up until two in the morning or something crazy one Christmas assembling a trampoline and all those little springs and things. And, oh, yeah, there have been, been some great toys over the years that we've, we've given the kids. <laughs> Tony Greco, well said. <laughs> Tony says, 
A shocking pen. Those little buggers cut them out of the will immediately. <laughs> I love it. I want to tell you about this song I discovered and in the process tell you about an app I discovered to help me discover the song. The app, which was mentioned in the premium edition of Mac Stories, uh, what do they call it, Mac Stories Weekly, and I do subscribe to Mac Stories because they're a bit geeky, but then I guess sometimes I can be a bit geeky, and they do some pretty geeky reviews of the new versions of iOS and Mac OS and watchOS every year. But they do have some quite useful little tips and app suggestions. They were talking about an app called Music Harbor, spelt the American way, by the way, in case you're not in America, so you have to misspell it, which drives the drives me crazy but anyway so h-a-r-b-o-r music harbor and there are some premium features that you can buy but otherwise it's free the way this works is that it can scan your apple music library and give you the opportunity to follow either all the artists that you have in your library or you can double tap the artists that you want to follow or you can just type in an artist's name so it's kind of a bit like a social network in that regard What it then does is it scans the followers that you've nominated and it will show you a list of albums that have come out in chronological order. It's kind of like flicking through your tweets from all of your artists. And when a new album comes out from one of your favorite artists or when there is a concert, if you follow artists who are still performing, then it will send you a notification if there's a concert I guess, coming to your area. So it's a really cool app, this Music Harbour, and I followed some artists who are current, but a lot of artists who are not. One of the artists that I followed in Music Harbour, just because I was flicking through my library and double-tapping the ones where I thought, oh, it might be interesting if a new album came out because sometimes things get remastered and remixed. So I followed Bing Crosby. The Bing Crosby Christmas albums are a big part of my life. You know, my childhood, we played them a lot they're just sort of an institution aren't they those being Crosby Christmas albums and to my astonishment there is a new Bing Crosby Christmas album this is worth make sure I get the orchestra right it's the London Symphony Orchestra so a number of British orchestras maybe just two is it the no I no I think it is a number I think I've seen the London Symphony Orchestra the London Philharmonic and the Liverpool Philharmonic at least doing this And there's an epidemic of it, I tell you, an epidemic of it. They take these old artists who've usually died, not always, but usually, and they take their really old stuff and they orchestrate them. And I guess what's happening is that some of these plugins that are available, particularly for Pro Tools, are so good these days that you can isolate the vocal from a track So you can put the vocal on its own track and then you can reorchestrate around it. So to my surprise, we now have a Christmas album of Bing Crosby doing all his Christmas classics with the London Symphony Orchestra. And it's kind of cool, I suppose, in the sense that clearly, because it's been done in 2019, the music is in stereo. So that's nice. And then you've got Bing's vocal, which has all been sort of cleaned up and EQ'd for modern conditions and that sort of thing. 
But if it was just that, I wouldn't really be bothering to tell you about it. What really struck me about this album, and you would have to be a very brave person to even attempt this, is they've got a very new version of White Christmas, which is just a Christmas institution. Bing Crosby's White Christmas, I mean, it's almost sacred, you know what I mean? Sacred in the sense of don't touch this. But what they've done on this album is they have got a new version of White Christmas with Bing Crosby, the London Symphony Orchestra, but get this, Pentatonics 2. When I mean, I like Pentatonics a lot. I think they are the real deal. Their arrangements, their vocals, I think Pentatonics are absolutely fantastic. I love their stuff. So when I heard this, or when, when I flipped through and I saw that there was this version of White Christmas with Bing, the London Symphony Orchestra and Pentatonics, I thought I'm either going to love this or I'm going to hate it. And you know what? I love it. I love this. I un- And I know that when you hear this, and if you're listening on the podcast, you'll have to go and find it yourself, obviously, because I can't play it on the podcast. If you're listening on the radio, we're going to play it in a second. I know that when you hear it, it's probably going to be one or the other extremes. But wow, I listened to this and I said, Bonnie, this is amazing. This is amazing. I mean, not not just because of how it sounds. And I think it's very tasteful. Sometimes I think people can accuse pentatonics of being a bit flamboyant, and I get that. But they were very restrained and tasteful in this. But the production involved in, in this must have been quite something. Mosin at Large Podcast. I'm going to have a little waffle about Ulysses now. I have talked about this app before, and others have too. I think the first person to talk about this app on the Mosin Explosion was Michael Fair, who recommended it to me quite some time ago. And then Marco Zahi from Germany recommended it to me, and some of his comments encouraged me to investigate this app extensively. Ulysses is a word processor app for iOS. It works on your iPhone and it works on your iPad. When you use it on the iPad, it's got all the features that you would expect from a well-behaved iPad app, including multiple windows. It also has a Mac version. My understanding is that it is as accessible on the Mac as it is on iOS. I started to get interested in word processing in a big way because of all of the wonderful content creation features that have now been built into iOS for voiceover users. We've talked about the problems with iOS 13, and some of them, unfortunately, still exist. But a lot of good stuff was added in iOS 13. And one of the things when I used to write regular blogs about a wish list for the next version of iOS, I would say iOS is a fantastic content consumption operating system, but I wasn't convinced that it was quite there for content creation. It's pretty jolly good for content creation now. So I started to get interested in a solution that really would allow me to work the way that I wanted to work. And it comes down to personal preference and your requirements on the job. For me, I wanted to be able to open a document and have it all in one big edit field. This is where Microsoft Word and for that matter Pages 
don't really suit my needs because each page is its own little edit field. And I don't really like that user experience. But I kind of put up with Word for iOS because I work with Word documents a lot. I've always enjoyed using Microsoft Word. I consider myself a medium to expert word user. I mean, there's so much in Word. I wouldn't want to overinflate my ability with it, but I have written books with it. I know how to do footnotes and nice formatting and tables of contents and things. So I use Word fairly well, I'd have to say. And of course, I have to use Word a lot on the job. There are times when I will be collaborating with people on Word documents. So Word's a big part of my life. If I'm away and I'm working on a document on my iPhone or my iPad, it has to end up in Word format at some point. That's really important. I also wanted something that worked well with Braille. And ideally, what I wanted to be able to do was make notes on the fly on my iPhone or iPad, but usually the iPhone, and be able to instantly read back quite extensive notes if I was in a situation where I needed to read aloud. Ulysses meets all of these needs. With Ulysses, you can import Word documents and you can export what you've written into Microsoft Word. Ulysses is also incredibly well documented. When I first started to use this app, I was really impressed by the introduction that you get when you install Ulysses. You get a series of sheets that you can go through that are divided into different sections. So that does two things. First, it has a lot of information about basic use of the app. Second, it gets you used to the user interface and the paradigm of Ulysses. If you want more, and I'm one of those kinds of people who if I get into an app, I want to know every little feature I can, you can subscribe to a course that they email you for a few days that gives you all the ins and outs of Ulysses and also features people who use the app in various contexts. They interview authors and other people who are working with the app, and that's quite interesting. The way that Ulysses is structured is very similar, I guess, to Scrivener. If you've used that app, I really do prefer the documentation, the look and feel of Ulysses. Again, that just comes down to personal preference. This app, for whatever reason, it just clicked with me. Documents are called sheets in Ulysses, and you can structure them in various ways. You could just put everything in your inbox, or you can create groups I have various groups. I have one, for example, for the Mosin Explosion. And one of the things I do love about Ulysses is its Siri integration. And you can assign all sorts of Siri commands to going into a particular Ulysses group with a single voice command or even creating a new sheet in that group. I have learned that the best way to make sure that I talk with you on this show about things that I think you might be interested in is to make a note of them as soon as I think of them. Because with everything I'm doing, by the time I get to the end of my week, chances are I will have forgotten the idea. So the moment something strikes me, what I used to do was to write a note in the Notes app. That does have Siri integration, and that's great, except you can't tell Siri to put a note in a particular folder. So I would dictate a note in the Notes app, and it would go into my general default iCloud folder. And if I wanted to be neat and tidy, and I am a bit of a neat freak, 
I would have to move that note manually when I remembered into the Mosin Explosion folder. It's all just a bit of a drudgery, and these machines are supposed to make us efficient, right? So with Ulysses, what I can now do, the moment an idea strikes me, I say to Siri, new Mosin Explosion story. That's all I say to it, new Mosin Explosion story. That instantly pops me into Ulysses with a new sheet in the Mosin Explosion folder, and focus is in the edit field. And then if I want to keep dictating, I can do a two-finger double tap and dictate since this is just rough stuff that I'm writing down to remind myself when the show is on. Sometimes dictation is just fine and some of my best ideas come in the back of an Uber. But I can also use Braille screen input or any other method to just write the note. And the thing about Ulysses is you don't have to give your sheets or your documents a name. You can just back out and if you've written something, it's just saved. There is a preview feature in Ulysses as you're scrolling through your sheets, and that means that if you give your document a title on the first line, then that will display and you'll know what document you're working with before you open it. But you don't have to give your files a name. You can just start writing. How you structure your Ulysses app is very much up to you, and it may vary from project to project. For example, I have a group in Ulysses called WorkBridge, which is the organization I'm chief executive of. Under WorkBridge, I have a lot of subgroups for chief executives' reports, for speeches that I might be working on for public presentation, and various other things. But if I were writing a book, like the old days of iOS without the eye, I can imagine that I might have a couple of groups pertaining to that. I might have a group where I just collect little tidbits of information as I learn about the operating system, essentially rough notes that occur to me. And then I may have the book itself, a Ulysses group called iOS Without the Eye, and I'll probably have a Ulysses sheet for each chapter. The structure is up to you, and it's incredibly flexible. Ulysses also has a pretty robust goal system, so you can specify how many words you want to write at a given time. And if you're working to a deadline and you are a professional author, as I used to be, it's really good to set yourself a deadline and say, come what may, no matter how much is going on on the social media, no matter how distracted I get today, I am not stopping until I've written 1,500 words. And you can set that goal and Ulysses lets you know how you're getting on pertaining to that goal. Another feature I absolutely love is the very ready access you have right from within the editor to how many words you've written by default. But I actually have changed that default to something very, very cool. A lot of what I write, especially in this job, I have to read out loud. I do a lot of presentations for groups, for my board, for my team, just a lot of presentations. And I need to know how long they will take. And one of the features you can set with Ulysses is as you write, if you've got this feature enabled, you can flick to the right and it will tell you how much you have written will take to read out loud. Absolutely awesome feature for my use case. One of the things that put me off Ulysses when Michael Fair originally told me about it was that it does use a form of markdown. In fact, there are various flavors of markdown that it can use. For those not familiar with this concept, it's where you use symbols on your keyboard to denote certain formatting. So you would do two number signs at the beginning of a line to give you a heading level two, three number signs for a heading level three. If you put star star, 
before and after a passage. It emphasizes it and so on. It's actually quite easy to learn. And when I heard about this, my gut reaction was, oh, my God, it's like going back to Braille edit in the <laughs> 1980s from Raise.Computing and all those dollar commands we used to use. It's not the case with every Markdown editor, but it is the case with Ulysses that when you use this Markdown stuff, and there are a lot of keyboard commands that you can use as well, so you don't have to remember the Markdown commands if you don't want to, although they are pretty easy. Ulysses actually renders them in a kind of a WYSIWYG form. What you see is what you get form. In iOS 13, there are many commands now that allow you to navigate around text. For example, you can navigate to your next heading. You can navigate to the next occurrence of bolded text, italicized text, and on and on it goes. And Apple has actually assigned default keyboard commands to all of these new navigation functions. So if you go into the new commands option in VoiceOver settings in iOS 13, and you're going to do word processing enough on your iThing, commit the keyboard commands that you're going to use to memory. You can jump to the next misspelled word. There's all sorts of stuff now that you can do. And so because Ulysses renders the actual formatting in this way, it means that when I'm in a very long document, I can now jump immediately to my next heading and get straight there. It also means that it does a pretty nice job of cleanly rendering the formatting when you export. So as I've already said, it will export to Word, but it does a lot more than that. It will also export to PDF and make a nice accessible job of creating a PDF file. And if you are an author, if you're a publisher and you want to create an EPUB file, it will create that as well. If you work with HTML and you want to export to a nice clean HTML file, it will do that as well. And it also integrates with a number of prominent blogging platforms as well. Pretty amazing that you can create all this stuff on your little iPhone or your iPad. You can also import text files if you just want to work with them natively. Ulysses will now fully integrate with Dropbox if you prefer to use Dropbox. If you ask Ulysses to use a standard markup language, not Ulysses' proprietary one, then it's possible that if you are a Windows user, you will be able to find a markdown editor that will work in Windows. Unfortunately, there is no Ulysses for Windows, but if you go with a generic uh, Markdown type language, you may be able to find something that will do the job for you in Windows. I mentioned all the wonderful ways that you can now zap between different formatting and other elements in iOS 13 with VoiceOver. One of the things I have also done to optimize my workflow with Ulysses, and indeed it helps me with any word processing that I do in iOS 13, is to change quite a lot of Braille commands. It is good I can read a very, very long document in Ulysses that I have written straight from Ulysses itself. The advantage of that is that I can make changes very quickly. What I used to do is if I was going to read a speech from my iPhone, I would put it into Voice Dream Reader, which is very reliable for reading long documents in Braille with. But if you're in a situation where somebody is speaking before you and you may want to make some notes to integrate 
into your presentation for when you're speaking, having the presentation locked away in voice stream reader isn't ideal. I mean, you can work around it, but it's not ideal. With Ulysses, you don't have that problem, and it's extremely reliable reading lengthy documents from Braille if you are speaking. I have changed some of the behaviors, though. For example, dot six chord and dot three chord move me between the next and previous characters, respectively. Dot four chord and dot one chord navigate by line because there are other keys on my Focus 45th generation that do, that duplicate essentially what those were previously assigned to. And I've also assigned one of the rocker bars to move up and down by paragraph. Interestingly, there doesn't appear to be a Braille command in iOS 13 to let you navigate by word. I understand why there's not a keyboard command to do it, because you can just use your option right arrow and option left arrow. It's built into the operating system. But you don't seem to be able to assign a Braille command to navigate by word. Otherwise, I would use dot five chord and dot two chord. So that's curious. But making those changes has given me the best note taker I've ever had. And I'm rocking the Focus 40 Blue fifth generation with Ulysses and getting a lot done. I'm using the beta of iOS 13.3 and Braille's behaving okay, uh, better than it has. So I'm pretty pleased with this experience. But I think that for full reliability, I'd probably still use an external keyboard when I'm writing a lot. But overall... This is a great experience. I just can't speak highly enough of how accessible and effective Ulysses is. There is a minor caveat emptor here, but let the buyer beware. And that is that when this app was recommended to me, I think I'm going back to September when this app was recommended to me and Marco convinced me to have another look. And when I got the app, I was wrapped and I started working with it and then I started getting really clever and I'd write little passages. I, I was actually really using it for day-to-day -day work. So I'd write a paragraph or two or three or 12 and then I would think I'm going to move this paragraph. This paragraph actually belongs above this other paragraph and I would cut it to the clipboard and paste and then, oh my word, Ulysses would get really, really sluggish with voiceover and I was distraught because I was really getting into it and I tried everything to speed it up again and uninstalling it and reinstalling it and sometimes it would work for a little while and then it would break again when you use the clipboard or did some fairly inconsequential thing and eventually I must say Ulysses support were very responsive in terms of acknowledging my issue and saying they were investigating it and then they said that they had duplicated my issue and were fixing it. I was disappointed that something that really rendered the app useless for any serious work took so long to fix. I think it's fair to say it took at least two months to fix after it was reported. And if you do become dependent on an app and they break something for voiceover users, I think that's an unacceptable period of time to wait, especially given that this app is a subscription app. I won't go through the subscription information. You can look that up because obviously it varies with currency and countries. So me giving you the New Zealand dollar pricing is going to help very few listeners to this. But I'm happy to pay an annual subscription if the new features keep on coming, if it's as well supported 
as it is, and if the fixes, because every software has bugs, are timely. And they have apologized to me for how long it took and sort of indicated they hoped it wouldn't happen again. And it's such a good app. I'm prepared to give them the benefit of the doubt. I guess the good thing is that if you do need to get your stuff out of Ulysses, you can export it to any number of formats, take it away and work on it somewhere else. If you have always thought you would love the freedom of being able to really use your iDevice as a word processor where you can seriously get stuff done, if you care about reviewing the way that your document is formatted so that you know it looks beautiful when you hand it over, if you're in a situation where you might need to read out loud and you have access to a braille display and you need to be able to export and import from a range of formats, especially Microsoft Word, I'd encourage you to give this a look. You can take it for a trial. So you can get a trial subscription that costs you nothing. You have, I think, a couple of weeks to play with the app. If you cancel your subscription before your trial expires, then you are not charged anything. So you really don't have anything to lose. And I think you might like it. I would be interested if you give it a shot to hear what you think and how you're getting on with it. So that is Ulysses. In case you're in any doubt, it's about U-L-Y-S-S-E-S. That's U-L-Y-S-S-E-S. Check it out in the iOS App Store. If you have a Mac, you can check it out there as well. For content creation, it really made me feel like at last, for me as a voiceover user, iOS has really come of age. It's Jonathan and Bonnie singing me jigs. It's Jonathan and Bonnie singing me jigs. It's Jonathan and Bonnie singing me jigs. It's Jonathan and Bonnie. La 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 Hello, with Eclipse on Squeaker. With Eclipse on Squeaker, yes. Uh, how are things in this festive Yuletide? Make the Yuletide gay, that's what I say. Uh, uh, how's it going? Good. I still, even after six years, can't get in the Christmas spirit because it's hot. <laughs> so, Mate, this sort of... We've had a glorious run of weather. Uh-huh. It's summery and lovely, and, 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 and it really now feels like Christmas to me. It feels like the 4th of July to me. <laughs> it's funny, though, because <clears throat> still we have songs on the radio, like mm-hmm. White Christmas and you know Winter Wonderland, which isn't even a Christmas song. I mean, it's a seasonal song, yeah. but it's not a Christmas song. It doesn't mention Christmas. So it's very, you know, we're, we're kind of, we just we just play the tunes because American programmers, um, yeah. you know, do the thing. Now, Sarah Hillis has reacted to, I, I had to prompt, prompt her to react, though. She, she was not voluntary with her view on the white Christmas thing. She says, I heard it. It was nice, just not the same. Yeah. But she agrees feeling. that the production values are amazing. Yeah, that's sort of the good way to... It's nice, but not the same. But the per- yeah, I would think the same thing. It's better. Yeah. Do you yeah. think it's better? Mm, it's not the same. It's good though. I mean, they did a great job with it. I think it's better. 
I think it's just wonderful. You know, it, it's all been, it all sounds pristine. The pentatonics were very restrained, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Jason Smith says that uh, he just uses Ed Sharp or something like that to do his markdown in Windows and that he actually likes markdown. Peggy says that she and Dan liked the new arrangement of Bing Crosby's White Christmas. She says, how would we search if we wanted to listen to it again or purchase it? Well, I've got Apple Music connected to my drinker. So if I say soup drinker, play White Christmas by Bing Crosby and Pentatonics. White Christmas by Bing Crosby, Pentatonics, and London Symphony Orchestra from Jonathan's Apple Music. There you go. So if you just search for that, it's going to start playing again. Soup drinker. Stop. You should be able to do it that way. Just, um, I think the trick would be just search in the title for White Christmas Bing Crosby Pentatonics. What else is happening with you? Um, just working, getting ready for the children's Christmas party, which will be this Thursday night. And um, for those that, that haven't heard about it, we have a Christmas party every year in conjunction with Blends who is our educational component that supplies all the the teachers. The Blind and Low Vision Education Network, Network of New, New Zealand. Zealand. Yes. It's uniquely to Wellington. It's funded by the Henderson Fund, which was a grant, a fund set up for to pay for. The Hendersons sign. will all be there. <laughs> Later Pablo Fank is fair. What a scene. Yeah. The, uh, for site-related things for people under 21 in the Wellington region. So they have they fund a Christmas party every year, and um, it's for birth to twelve, and their family, the parents and siblings can come. But the parents, we buy a Christmas present for the kids, but the parents have to if they want Santa Claus to give a, a present to the siblings, then they have to buy it, of course. And we have a hundred people coming so far, so I think it's one of the biggest ones yet. So that's going to be Thursday night. So um, a lot of prep a lot of it's been done already but of course you can't do the food until the day and we do have a a lovely lady who has cooked for the past several years and she'll be providing the main dishes and then on thursday a bunch of us are getting together and making the salads and things like that so that's going to be kind of a i'm the mc for the event it's very packed together because it only goes for a couple of hours so you have dinner and then a little entertainment and then of course santa claus who's the big attraction and uh, dessert, and then everybody leaves because a lot of them have small children and want to get them in bed after they've had Santa Claus and dessert and all that good stuff. So, how were you voted MC? I just volunteered. Oh, I see. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. No one else wanted to do it, <laughs> and I can't really. Do, I mean, I I couldn't do some of the other stuff, so I needed to to do that. So that'll be good. Do you have memories of Christmas things from when you were a kid like that? Special parties and that sort of thing? Um, we had some Christmas parties. Not uh, Most of the ones my parents went to. I, I mean, we always had a class Christmas party at school. That was always kind of fun. I don't remember if we... Yeah, we did drawing of names and stuff like that. So I remember that sort of thing. And school Christmas parties, they were always kind of fun. And... Going to see a Christmas tree, the big Christmas tree, riding the pink pig, which was this thing that went around the Christmas tree. 
going to see the lights. That was always a big thing, going to see Christmas decorations and stuff. And then we, depending on where I was living, we started different traditions of what we did. Yeah, different traditions based on geography. Yeah, like yeah. the big one in Morristown was going to Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, wow. And yeah. seeing the singing Christmas tree. So that was kind of strange, but we did that on a Christmas Eve. How was night. the Christmas tree singing? It was like one of those. Well, they actually do have singing Christmas trees, and they're kind of cool. They get choir, choirs up inside them, and they're actually in the tree. Singing. Right. This was just sort of a wind-up, battery-operated, pathetic little thing. Wind-up, battery-operated Christmas tree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we used to have these Christmas lights that played monophonic music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty kind of, yeah. <laughs> My favorite memory... I've got so many favorite memories of Christmas. I think that's why I love Christmas so much. Of course, going in and doing the Christmas show on the radio from the age of about four, which made me realize that I've now been on the radio in some form or another for 46 years. Yeah. Ridiculous, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I have to do something really amazing for my 50th anniversary of uh-huh. be- being on the radio. So I, I used to love that. But also we had this Christmas parade in Auckland and – they would actually put the blind kids on the rooftop garden of the old farmer's department mm. store and they would have a radio personality commentating and describing the parade, which oh. was quite advanced for the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And then they would take all us poor, disabled and underprivileged children back to, <laughs> back to the uh, to, to the special place uh, mm-hmm. where they gave you a special Christmas party and, and the presents we got were substantial mm-hmm. at that thing. Michael Fair says, my guide, that's his guide, nothing you can do can make me untrue to my guide. Don't be a He says, my guide is structured in Ulysses as a group with each major section being a separate sheet with three levels of headings for subsections. It's great to be able to move things without the lag. Yeah, that was a bit of a showstopper. DJ Z-Man says the new version is okay. This is a white Christmas, but I do like the original Bing Crosby white Christmas better. Not me. I've upgraded, man. Got to move with the times, brother. I've upgraded to the new version. I see it's going to be controversial when I get to pick which version of white Christmas we play uh, when it gets voted for in the countdown. Yeah, so Here's Brian Gaff. I knew it. I knew it. Brian Gaff, he's got the curmudgeon hat on. He says, I wasn't that impressed by the new creation, mainly because it's still obvious that the bing on the recording is very, very filtered because it's from an old recording, so they kind of clash with the pentatonic vocals in my view. It's a shame that they couldn't have found a more up-to-date version, but I don't know how many times he recorded it. We're having the kids over today. We're having a marvellous Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat because we couldn't really do it on Thanksgiving Day or anything like that because we don't have the time off. No, we're busy. Busy bees. I mean, it's another day in New Zealand because we don't celebrate Thanksgiving. So we are going to have turkey. Have we got cram button sauce? No. What? Because I don't like, we have to, maybe Heidi or someone can pick it up. Yeah, we need the cranberry yeah, sauce. I forgot about that because I don't like cranberry sauce, so I don't, it's not like on my radar. No. You have to have cranberry sauce with turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I guess we'll leave you to head off to the soupy market. Oh, no, I'm not going to the supermarket. I'm going to the mall. But if you went to the supermarket while you're at the mall, you could get the cranberry sauce. Oh. 
I could just have someone bring it because you're supposed to bring stuff on mm, Thanksgiving. Okay. Jason Smith says, I guess the best way I know how to put my thoughts about why Christmas is the new version is good, great even, but nothing, nobody can replace Bing's original classic version. It's Mr. Multi-Topic Asterisk Dave Vandermolen here again, he says, with more questions on more topics. Here's a whole string of asterisks to begin. Thanks for your wisdom. Gosh, that's kind. Read my last email. I've given up on Downcast to try to load your podcast. It can't find the Blindside either. I'm now trying Overcast, which sounds almost as bleak as downcast. Here are my new questions. And here's the first row of asterisks. Since you and I live outside of the US and can't use the BAD app to read .brf and .brl files on the iPhone, how do you do so? Well, I actually just read them on my Braille display, to be perfectly honest with you, Dave, and I don't find myself reading a lot of BRF or BRL files. Most of the books I read come from Kindle or Apple Books, so I don't often have a need. It's a very good point. Does VoiceStream Reader handle those files? And if not, why not? I wonder if Winston could quickly whip up a back translator thing or license a back translator table. Maybe others can comment on this. Uh, Another series of asterisks. So this is a new question. Is there any exercise equipment, elliptical machines, treadmills, and recumbent bikes that you can use an iOS app with to control settings like tension and type of workout and allows you to get statistics on your workout? Are there particular models and makes of fitness equipment that are accessible. Well, I can help you a bit with this because we've got a rowing machine and we've got a weight machine and we have an exercise bike, none of which are particularly high tech. But about a year ago, Bonnie expressed an interest in having a treadmill added to our list of gym equipment. And I thought, if I'm going to get a treadmill, I'd like to be able to get one where the bells and whistles work okay with speech. They're accessible in some way. And I did a lot of research on this, and I came up with a brand that I believe is manufactured in Italy, and they ain't cheap, called Technogym. And Technogym have an app for the iPad called the MyRun. Unfortunately, it is not available for iPhone. They have a MyRun app, but it doesn't program or control the treadmills. You pair your... Technogym My Run with your iPad. And when you've done it, you're able to set up programs on your treadmill. So you can determine what your objective is, whether it's fat burning or cardio, I don't know, various other things. And then it will have a program that's up and running. It adjusts the incline automatically. You can set a time that you want to walk. Now, what I would say about this app is it's doable but it's really fiddly in my opinion it's usable with skill but it's not what i would call intuitively accessible to be honest but you know we get by but i do find that most of the time despite having invested in this specific treadmill because of its ipad app we do most of the time just 
do our own thing, adjust the incline manually and adjust the speed manually. But it really does give you one heck of a good workout if you're willing to persist with it. And the iPad has a little place on the front of the treadmill where it's designed to sit and you can control it from there. So that's Techno Gym My Run. It's doable, but there may well be better options by now that other listeners might recommend that either offer better accessibility, equal accessibility, or are a boatload cheaper. I haven't looked into other devices, but that's a really interesting conversation starter. So hopefully others who have investigated things like bikes and other things will be able to tell us. I recently, this is after after another series of asterisks, bought an Apple Watch fourth generation. I love the feature that allows you to get the time via vibrations. However, two finger double taps aren't consistent when I'm in a meeting and want to use the vibrations feature. Sometimes my watch starts talking and I have a hard time getting it to vibrate. The time does this feature work better with the fifth generation watch well the first thing i would say dave is you're using one finger too many use a one finger double tap and that should vibrate the hours and the minutes even then though a one finger double tap i sometimes find does misfire it's pretty embarrassing if you're at a funeral or something and you do a one finger double tap and it doesn't work what i have found is that if you do a one finger triple tap what that's supposed to do is just give you the minutes in vibrations and haptic feedback and generally we know if we're in a meeting or somewhere like that we know what the hour is anyway so a one finger triple tap worst case scenario it will ignore the first tap which i find it does sometimes and you'll get the hours and the minutes best case scenario is you'll get just the minutes like you're meant to but i find that a one finger triple tap does almost always give you haptic time Regarding the new text selection feature, he says after another series of asterisks, that's on the rotor. If using a braille display, can you use dots 235 chord to select left and dots 256 to select right? I want to be able to select from cursor to either top or bottom of document. Uh, I've found text selection, it might just be the version of iOS I'm using. A little bit flaky with Braille. I'd be interested in what other people are finding with text selection and Braille at the moment. Thanks so much, Jonathan. He says, after another series of asterisks. For people who don't like mystery, who, who feel deeply troubled by unresolved mysteries, I will now resolve the mystery for you of Angela L. Griffith, courtesy of Angela L. Griffith. I was speculating last week about what the L stands for, and I suggested it might be Louise, but I was wrong. In fact, it's I was so wrong, I need to go into the window so I can go... Wrong. Yes, I was. The L, says Angela, in Angela L. Griffith stands for Lorinda, which is actually Spanish for Laura. That's nice, isn't it? Angela Lorinda Griffith. It's very nice. Thank you for letting us know, Angela. John Gallagher says, Hello, Jonathan. Firstly, what a great podcast. So varied and interesting. Hmm, so tender and mild. Oh, no, that's not what he said. Yeah. First, a small point. Two days ago, I tried out the new Soundscape update with my Bose frames. As now this app works with them. The sound was amazing. 
And you have to connect the Bose frames within the Soundscape app. But then you get the augmented reality. And though the Soundscape app is rather poor with its database when walking around with my guide dog Zara, I use this app in conjunction with Blind Square. Microsoft, in its wisdom, has not seen fit to make Soundscape available in New Zealand, so that's an app I don't have any experience with, John. So my big question with regards to high-res audio is, is it worth going for something like Tidal? I have Amazon high-res, or really Amazon HD it is, but I only have the Sonos Play One speakers as a stereo pair. Sonos will not do very high res, of course. I purchased the Sonos after reading your book about it. When Amazon have them in stock, I will purchase the Echo Studio. I do wonder if the very high res is worth it, but again, this means getting maybe the Blue Sound speakers. If you have the Amazon HD, then to the best of my knowledge, that's doing the same kind of resolution as Tidal. So no, I think they are competing with each other in the same space. So I wouldn't see any advantage in going with Tidal if you have Amazon HD, other than perhaps if Tidal has more of a selection. The one I use is Deezer, and they offer also a high-resolution lossless form, and it sounds great on the better Sonos speakers like the Play 5 and the home theater setup that we have. So because we have Deezer, and they have a lot of tracks that the other music services don't have, we haven't gotten into Amazon high-res at all. I understand you have very good Sonos setup and you are very happy with the sound of it. I do wonder if you use Amazon HD. Nope, just Deezer. Same kind of stuff. Although if you are getting an Amazon Echo Studio you would be able to take advantage of this HD audio thing, the 3D audio type effect that they're trying. I've seen these gimmicks come and go, but if you've got a Amazon Echo Studio, then you probably do want to try that out. It's all a matter of taste, I know, says John. I am very lucky to have good hearing, and I still work as a piano tuner. Ding, 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 ding. Again, what a great job you do with the podcast. Well, thank you, John. Here in the UK... I have big problems with taxis not taking the dog. Real annoying. I might try out the service that you use on the app. Thanks very much, John. And uh, let me know how you get on. If you do get an Amazon Echo Studio, I would be keen to hear whether you think it's worth it. Jonathan Mosen. Mosen at Large Park. Here's Ian Naki. He says, while I admire the technical wizardry of the new white Christmas, I have to say I don't really warm to it. What? Hey, Jonathan, it's uh, Gino J. Oh, Gino J. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to come in and kind of inform you what's been going on with me. I know um, I haven't really been talking that much because I've been mobile a lot lately. It's been peaceful. Uh, October peaceful. 26th, I yeah. took a trip over to... Uh, Franklin, Ohio, basically, um, which is outside of Cincinnati, and spent a month out there with my girlfriend. I had a great time and whatnot, and um, had some pretty interesting stories to share with you, though, uh, because I flew out there, uh, making a stop in Philadelphia, and um, 
On the way back, though, it was a little bit more interesting because uh, a friend of mine came out and visited who is from New York, and we drove back from uh, Ohio all the way back to Mass. And uh, one of the things that was interesting was that we were stopped by the Ohio State Police. <laughs> I know I was really bad. That's my victim. Routine traffic stop, apparently, but it was fun. Because you um, were doing the driving, weren't you, Gina? It was. It was 865 miles, somewhere around the range. I don't know. Anyway, it was a long trip. We wound up stopping in um, Lake Ariel, Pennsylvania at a Comfort Inn and then making the rest of the trip the next day uh, because it just was a little unsafe to keep traveling. We wouldn't have been back till like uh, 1 or 2 a.m., so... Yeah. Another thing that we did actually was we went to a really interesting church called the First Heavy Metal Church of Christ, and <laughs> uh, it wasn't like your contemporary um, style of church that you'd go to. It was very informal, um, very casually dressed, and I mean, um, basically the church's philosophy uh, is rooted on Ephesians 6.10. And um, yeah, so it was really interesting. Anyway, um, hope you're doing well. Ephesians uh, 6.10. I haven't voted yet, but I probably will be voting very soon for the uh, Christmas countdown thingy. Oh, good, good. Anyway, take care. Stay safe. You too, Gino. Sounds like you're the one that's got to stay safe. Soup drinker. What's Ephesians 6.10? You have top 10 countdown enabled. Do you want to open it? No. You have top 10 countdown enabled. Do you want to open it? No. Ridiculous piece of binary. Here's Jane. Jane's in Los Angeles, aren't you, Jane? Oh, my word. The City of the Angels. There you go. She says, how is harbour spelled in the other parts of the world? The proper way, Jane, the proper way. It's spelled with a U in it. H-A-R-B-O-U-R, just like colour in the rest of the world is spelled C-O-L-O-U-R. And favourite is F-A-V-O-U-R-I-T-E, and on and on I can go. Oh, it's Ephesians, not Ethesians, okay, it's <laughs> Ephesians 6.10 says, Serahilis is, according to the NIV, that's the New International Version. Is that like round yon version, mother and child? Holy infant, so tender and mild. It sounds like a rotisserie chicken, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. So tender and mild. Or or, or, or an old cigarette ad. Anyway, uh, according to Serahilis and the NIV, Ephesians 6.10 is, finally, be strong in the Lord. I I need a bit of reverb. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. More broadly, she says, this passage discusses the armor of God. It's the helmet of salvation and such. Cool. 
And another one in the can. Episode 14 of the Mosul at Large podcast. Don't forget to cast your vote. MushroomFM.com slash Countdown 2019 for your top 10 holiday songs. And be in touch. Jonathan at MushroomFM.com or 864-60-MOSIN. Mosin at Large podcast.